The OneOuter.com podcast is now proudly sponsored by William Hill Poker. We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use one outer as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7pm UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including oneouter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, Points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill poker account today and use OneOuter as your promotional code. And the password for the tournaments is Ginger, G-I-N-G-E-R. When inside the William Hill poker client, just click on tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for tournament. Enter OneOuter and you will find the OneOuter monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the OneOuter.com podcast. This is episode four of our ever-increasingly popular segment called Ask Alex, where I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald. Um, you can find Alex at his site, PokerHeadrush.com. Or find him on Twitter at Assassinato, at the Assassinato actually. Um, how are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great, Barry. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, we've been getting lots of good feedback, both myself and Alex, on Twitter and Facebook and stuff about the last few podcasts. So it's good to know that there are actually people listening to it and uh, getting something from it. And it's not just me and Alex sitting here talking amongst ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we appreciate all the questions coming in. And remember, if you have a question you want to ask us, just tweet it to either myself or Alex at the Assassinato. That's at T-H-E-A-S-S-A-S-S-I-N-A-T-O or at oneouter.com. That's at oneouter.com. Uh, you can also like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash oneouter. And uh, just keep the questions coming in because uh, a lot of people have said, oh, I've got a question, but... I'm not sure if I want to ask. Just ask it. We don't need to read out your name or anything. Um, if you're thinking it, there's a good chance someone else is thinking it as well. So um, just keep them coming in, however random they seem to be. Um, other news, I uh, don't know if you noticed, but OneOuter.com podcast is now sponsored by William Hill Poker. So we're running a new monthly tournament. Now, by the time this show goes out, the first one is likely to have been played. Um, it's on the 23rd of June. Maybe not if I get it out early. Um, but everyone's welcome in that. You just need to sign up for a William Hill Poker account and use one outer as the promotional code when you're signing up. Uh, the tournament's $5 entry. 
but there's lots of added prizes. I'm giving away books, uh, free month at PokerXFactor.com if you take down the tournament. And the person who's the best, judging on the points they've accumulated over the six tournaments at the end of the six months, will win a lesson with Alex Fitzgerald, who's kindly uh, added that prize for our listeners. So again, I know a lot of you guys have already contacted Alex for coaching and a lot of you would like to do it. So it's a great chance to get you know a free hour with Alex and get as much out of him in that hour as you can. So thanks again for giving that prize, Alex. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. Cool, cool. Uh, just another little bit of news. Um, as you know, I'm still interviewing people and you can check out all my previous interviews by clicking on the podcast section of oneouter.com or going to iTunes. And my latest interview was with Phil Lack, who's a guy I've been trying to get for absolutely ages. And I finally got him. And uh, it's an hour of complete babble by him and myself. <laughs> um, it, it really is. I've not listened to it back fully, but the only time Phil could do it was, I think it was one in the morning, Scotland time like five in the evening Vegas time and after a year of putting it off and we couldn't get a time and stuff I just had to do it at that time so there was no prep but I never planned to prep for Phil anyway because he's not the type of guy you can prep with but I do warn listeners in advance I hope you will still get something out of it but it is a lot of incoherent rambling but you know sometimes that's the good stuff he's a um, he's a great <laughs> he's a great interview sorry I'm babbling too myself uh, but no he's a Every time I've heard him, I've laughed my ass off and felt like I've learned something, which is pretty, pretty hard to do. The great thing about him is he, he isn't even trying, and yet he still is entertaining. I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, well, he goes off on tangents, but there's a lot of gems there as well. And I think that's his character, and it's good. As you say, it's not even an act. He just really is like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. So what have you been up to, Alex, yourself? Not much. Uh, playing a little more cash, really enjoying that. I really like Rush Poker, allows you to get in a lot of hands. I uh, haven't been able to put in like 5K hands a day like I used to when I played cash for a living, but still been enjoyable. And, you know, uh, waking up, uh, I started waking up earlier just to like read, hang out with my dog. And that's been I don't know. That's been really chill. I've been really enjoying work because of that, too, because, you know, you get like a couple hours to like chill out, drink coffee, read, you know, listen to the birds chirp, play with the dog. Yeah. And then, yeah, it, magically, I have much more endurance now. <laughs> so even though I, I'm sleeping less, which I thought would be uh, I thought that would be a detriment to my play. So, yeah, you know, things have been going pretty good. Cool. Cool. So um, when you say that, when you're playing Rush, is it on full tilt or is it the... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Zoom, it's Zoom. Yeah, you got to correct me. Yeah, no, I like <laughs> I like it on Poker Stars, man. I like the action, man. Everybody everybody three bets, but they don't really know how to handle three bet pots. And they're just a little worried about the money. And you can't be worried about the the money when you're playing cash games. It was I remember seeing this guy, there was this diver like near my neighborhood when I was uh, younger, this big black dude, and he would... Uh, everybody would ask him for advice like how do you do that man like double flip and go into a dive in the water and he was like the only thing he ever said was you can't be afraid of the water and yeah. the, the big thing in cash is you can't be afraid of uh you can't be afraid of the money you can't be afraid of like jamming the river and looking like a dumbass i mean there's a lot of times i jam the river and my bet needs to work 46 percent of the time and i think it's going to work oh 55 but that still means 4.5 times out of 10, I look like a horse's ass. 
you know, when I get called. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's it's stacking up. It's working out well. It's slow, but it, you know, it's good. It's good. It's fun. Are you are you four tabling it? Or? Yeah, four tabling. Yeah. But it's it's really yeah. it's really fun with that, like because you can, you know, you just uh, you get a bad beat, and it's like ah, time to stretch. So I like you know I sit out of every table, go you know go walk outside and like read a chapter in some book and then come back and you know a lot of people just sit there and they you know explode like they really want to play and they're just addicted to the action if you're constantly resting or if a hand's really bugging you you can just sit out and really look at it and go oh you know I did play that hand all right okay I'm fine with it now or I played that really bad but you know I took the time to pick up on it and hopefully it won't happen again yeah, the thing is, I played Rush for a while um, before playing the MTTs and the, the 180 mans again. Maybe for about six months. It was just before Black Friday on full tilt. And I, I was doing really well, you know, at it and uh, building up quite a decent role. But I found uh, probably my style and certainly, uh, you know, Veneer, the guy that was, uh, he was a coach for one of the sites. Uh, card, card runners. Card, yeah, card runners. Pa- Pavel. Um, he wrote a book on it, you know, like the 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 climb. I can't remember the name of his book, and I actually reviewed it in my comments in the book, so that's quite bad. Oh, very but, cool. Um, <laughs> um, I can't remember what it's called. Is it building a bankroll? Uh, something like Mount Micro. He did like a little series, and I'm sure it's building a bankroll. Um, and he built like I think it was something like a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars to ten k. And when I looked at the way he was playing, I was like, wow, right, okay, now I understand the variance, you know, that I was experiencing. I mean, obviously, it is quite high variance, a lot of the the, the rush, and you're certainly seeing a lot of the beats and stuff, and that's what it feels like. Um, I remember playing them, and it was like set over set was nothing. You know, you would oh, see yeah. that so many times. <laughs> once, once, an out, once a session, pretty much. Yeah, once a session, set over set, and then, you know, quads and this and that and stuff, so... It's definitely action, and I think that does it. So you touched on it. You can play for like 10, 15 minutes, stop, do something, jump back in and stop. You know, this it's just a much better sort of lifestyle thing, I think, playing that. You know, if you can if you can make your money at cash, and especially rush, because you can certainly get the hands in in a short space of time. You know, I, I can't... Right. My numbers are way off now, but I remember, like, it's crazy, man. If you're four-tabling especially... Uh, I can't remember what it is per hour, but you know it was it was crazy. Let me, let me try to remember. I play about two point five k, two point five k hands for two hours, I think. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's well, I, I think I that's right. Say, I was going to say seven hundred to a thousand hands an hour, just but that's total memory stabbing the dark. Yeah, so that, 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 that's, two, yeah, that's probably more accurate. That's probably. Yeah. I think I'm. I, I think I'm shooting a little too high. And um, I mean, as I say, I did it in the black card thing at full tilt at the time. Oh man, yeah. I, oh, I achieved God. that, and then bang, Black Friday. The good, the good <laughs> old know? days. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that. I had a buddy who, uh, I mean, he was part of the. It, there was like a union of poker players with full tilt, and you know, you know, just getting my horses on that and rush poker and they got higher rake back. It was just like, man, like, <laughs> and then of course, you know, black Friday happened and I don't know where any of those horses are. So, you yeah. know, fat chance I'll ever get that money, but are like the legal fees to retrieve that money, you know, just a couple thousand in each account is just going to be so substantial. It's not even worth it. Not to mention yeah. the hours invested, but you know, uh, 
It's weird. It's like gambling illegally carries some risk. I never expected <laughs> this, but yeah. uh, anyhow. So what about the tournaments and stuff? Are you still like Sundays or? Oh, I love Sundays. Yeah, I, you know, I play, I play a couple days a week. I don't, I don't like the. I have a lot of respect. Like one of my like good friends and my first students is Nazo One One Four, and my God, like I have so much respect for how that guy can play day in and day out, and I never really feel like I get that. I never really feel like I get an edge on him, and that's. I mean, there's usually something some guy does differently. You feel like, oh, maybe I could exploit this. And yeah. that just doesn't happen with him. And, you know, and when I see this is his fourth 12-hour day in a row, I'm like, well, he's going to start breaking down now. And, no, he just, you know, he plays his game. I mean, I could be a little critical about sometimes I want him to take more risks than perhaps he does, but you, you're never getting an edge on him. And mm-hmm. I just don't know how he does it. Because, like, after two days of playing only MTTs, I'm like, I'm going to go smack my head into a wall. And <laughs> I'm just, I, I really enjoy MTTs, but it's just so, uh, I mean, it's it's much more of a grind than cash. Because cash, you have a lot of, okay, combine his flop range with his turn calling range. And what does he have on this river? Oh, maybe I could do this big bluff. A lot of times in tournaments, it's just, I'm I've done this play one million times and i know i'm pretty close i'm 99.9 percent certain this is the best way to play it and this is how i'm gonna play it and whatever happens happens and it feels much more like a grind but yeah i mean i played uh i played tuesday i final table the multi 50 i have something like 15 final tables over the last like 13 sessions or something like that i i don't know a horse said that but it's uh it's been really cool it's been really good i i feel like people are it's really a gold not i don't want to say a gold mine that sounds too arrogant but it's really it's a very fortuitous time right now to be an mtt professional if you're putting the hours in because everybody sticks to this one style of play and there's very if you just take a second to play around with the mathematics there's very certain defenses against those plays and many people fail to do them or even if they know them there's a lot of guys that the second i show them they go oh that's that's great but they it's just it's not socially in vogue they've never thought about that they're creatures of habit whatever it is they don't want to do it so yeah i mean it's more of a variance train now for me because i play really goofy and i win very ugly when i do win but it's uh you know, it's been really fun and, you know, making a lot of final tables, you know, getting some wins. It's it's making money. I guess, you know, that doesn't when you say that, that doesn't always mean you're making money. You know, you sure. can you can if you're playing everything every day and you like win a one oh nine every day, you're pretty much break. If you win a one oh nine on party every day, you're pretty much breaking even. And people yeah. people don't even catch that. So okay. it's I, I've not been making, you know, a ton of money, but it's been you know, it's been pretty fun. It's been stable and it's uh I'm I'm way happier to be home playing MTTs online than being uh, perhaps in Vegas like everybody else is right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say that, you know, with yourself and uh, when you see these, you know, obviously on your Facebook and stuff, friends that are out there and that, is there part of you that's just totally sort of not over it but just really not bothered at all that you're not there or is there part of you that sort of itches a little bit to be out there and, you know, involved in it a bit? You know, not at all. I I think that's kind of, I'm not, I think that's actually a problem is Mm -hmm. I've, 
come close so many times to a big title and blown it off with my own bad play or, you know, flop sets when somebody had a straight or, you know, lost huge yeah. flips or whatever uh, in the F-top, CPT, San Remo, PCA, Kiev, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just, I'm not embittered by it at all. I never... I'm very happy I had those opportunities, but there's a part of me that just goes, you know, uh, it's really hard to get that far. And then <laughs> I truly, yeah. I truly understand now that a lot of things can happen when you're that deep. You know, it doesn't matter how good you think you're, you are. You're still at the mercy of a 30 big blind stack at times. And yeah. and uh, I, I'm very, I'm very fortunate to have had those opportunities to go deep to be on TV and have Joe Stapleton make quips at me. But uh, I, there's a part of me that just kind of goes, it's, I don't want to say a part of me that thinks it's not going to happen, but there's a part of me that really understands how difficult it is now. And I just don't want to, I'm making money at home. I get to, it's kind of, it's kind of a cop out. And I think it's, there's a part of me that's worried I've lost my competitive nature but at the same time i'm winning a lot more making a lot more money than i ever have so you know doing real well on the side with business but i mean i'm reading i'm reading books by i think his name's tim s grover uh he was the trainer of michael jordan and reading books by phil jackson uh just to like kind of get that feeling again of like i want to go out there and play because i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's good i have no emotions (laughs) everybody in (laughs) vegas but I mean, there's a part of me that'd be like, oh, yeah, it'd be cool to be out there. But if you can sit at home and play 6K and buy-ins divided over 40 tournaments or play 7,000 cash game hands, or you could be in Vegas with the heat, with uh, kind of that negative energy you and I talked about the last episode, playing 30 hands an hour, tipping dealers, paying for a hotel room. uh, Yeah. you know, having to eat at a TGI Fridays in the Gold Coast because nothing else is open at 1 a.m. and they want $50 <laughs> for a really bad a French onion soup. Then you yeah. start going, and, you know, it's all, I kind of like my house. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. I kind of, <laughs> you know, I, but I mean, it's different. Like, when I didn't really have a home to go home to, I was like, oh, yeah, let's get on the tour, man. Let's go gamble. I'm, it, it's cool. Yeah, even even myself, you know, last year was the my only my second time in Vegas, but my first time at the World Series, and you know I bumped into Jack Welsh and we were speaking about it and stuff. And this year there's a couple of guys I know from Dundee, you know, in Scotland that are out there, and one of them I was with last year, and I've saw their updates and stuff, and I I kind of think the same. Like, why am I not going? Ah, uh, you know, I should be out there and stuff. I think just because. It was really like an anticlimax for me or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did, I did for like my modest standards. I did quite well, you know. Like, in, I didn't play any bracelet. I played the the dailies and stuff, and you know, I, I did well. I had like three final tables out of seven tournaments or something, and 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 had a chance, you know. But I just, I don't miss it in the sense that if I did miss it, I would have did what I did last year. I would have had the flights booked. I would have had the hotel booked way in advance, you know. But just this year, I just didn't have that urge almost to go out there and that sort of makes me think oh have i you know fallen out of love with poker or just bored with it and stuff but on the flip side i'm really excited to start playing some mtts again but at my own pace you know just like not grinding just logging up and 
trying to go right. I need to play seven hours of the one eighties today, you know, to like try and build up and grind some rent money, sort of thing. You know, it's like I just feel uh, poker. It's important that you enjoy it still, and it, mm-hmm. there are there's probably easier things you can do just for money. You know, if it's just well, money. Well, let let me ask you this: like, if you were if you were able to go play in what, what what's somewhere you've always wanted to go to in Europe if they had like a 5k event wouldn't you be much more excited to go to that um i don't know i probably the the pca even though i've had yeah, okay. price stuff like that i think that would be a cool trip you know the bahamas go right, there right. yeah yeah and it, it, to be honest with you i mean at the end of the day it's cards we play cards we play cards for money and you know it's it's nice to compete and you know be on that grand stage and be on ESPN but it it's a card game and you you're trying to make money at it and you're more likely to make money dividing your investments into several hundreds of thousands of hands as opposed to uh one WSOP which plays out like one Sunday just 30 40 tournaments if you have the biggest bankroll in the world yeah i yeah. i look forward to PCA much more because you know it's the white sand beaches and crystal clear blue water there's nothing like that in vegas i uh if the world series was in i i don't know why this came to my mind but if the world series was in hungary i would be much more excited to go because i remember playing ept budapest way back in the day and i had Mm. a blast like the you know everybody was really kind there you could jog by the river in the morning it's got kind of that like cold uh seattle feel there's the old cathedrals there's a lot of history and Mm -hmm. i just really dug being out there when i'm in vegas you know that americans uh americans like they're they're strong-minded people and they can kind of rub off on you in the (laughs) wrong way and then if you're an american and you come back and you you know, they it, I, I don't I don't know what it is. A lot of guys really seem to have a bone to pick with me at the table. And I don't really get that anywhere else in the world. Like, I don't uh, I've never. It, but I, the you know, number of people that have just, you know, we're playing poker for like four hours. They haven't said a word. And then they just like take off their headphones and like scream something at me. And the yeah. WSOP is like it seriously has happened like 10 or 20 times. And I just, you know, I'd be lying if I said it doesn't make me uncomfortable, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. bother me that much. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I mean, I don't really care for Vegas that much. It's, uh, you know, everybody's trying to rip you off every everywhere you go and everybody's angry. Like, Mm. I don't don't like being in casinos, period, because (laughs) the funniest thing is casino advertisements, because you've never seen more plastered uh you know, sparkling, bright, white smiles than in a casino ad. And if you go to a casino, nobody looks happy. And Las Vegas is a giant casino. And everybody just looks miserable. And every time you get into a taxi, it's like they need to take a left, but they take a right. And every time you go to eat, you know, I tip 10%. People eye me weirdly when I'm walking out. I mean, I don't tip. I got really bad service one time last year at... Uh, around the World Series, and I tipped ten percent, which I thought was, I didn't think this, I didn't think this uh, person deserved anything, and I got the yeah, yeah, come again, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, it, they nobody tips in the rest of the world, period, 
Like, <laughs> you go to Asia, they don't tip. You go to Europe, they don't... I mean, you tip something like... A tip is a tip. If, you, if it's good service. If it's yeah. good service, yeah, you pay something. And if you really... I t- you know, if if they're really good, you tip something. Or, in, or like it is in Costa Rica, it's mandated. There's a 10% tip. And if you leave anything extra, it's, you know, even... If there's a, if you leave anything extra, they're extremely grateful. And there's sometimes mm-hmm. I get amazing service, so I tip out what would be the equivalent of like 20, 25 percent. And then there's other times I'm like that 10 percent flat rate is exactly what you deserve, if not less. And mm-hmm. in Vegas, just everybody's you know you come in, everybody's hopped up and like you go to eat, everybody's hopped up and you know they're, they're BS happy uh to see you in the restaurant because you pay their salary and you decide what it is like adam carolla said like uh, compare this to any other job like you hire a contractor to roof your house and oh by the way i don't want to pay my workers you're gonna have to pay them and it's um what and you know you know and the uh, the you do like the math like how much like dealer tokes like take and i totally believe the dealers deserve money uh from us but uh that's a really hard job i've had some friends that are dealers that seems like a really difficult job i could uh, a lot of people i could never do i i think it's just Uh, you have to be so perfect all the time and no one says thank you for it but at the same time like as a professional gambler when you put down like dealer tokes at the end of the year for all these little you know it's oh my god like you know this is a <laughs> lot of money like, yeah. but you know I mean, that's not to say like vegas isn't vegas is a great time like there's i mean the shows are awesome there's a lot of characters out there that are really fun it's awesome to play poker on the uh grand stage and there's i mean there's cool like you know cheeky things like the pinball hall of fame and stuff like that that i really love and but, you know, it's just not my favorite place in the world to be. Man, we've talked yeah. about this on two shows, haven't we? I know. But well, I... When, I, when I was there, what I thought was if you are that elite bracket, you know, this sort of like Mercedes, Ivy, all this stuff, and you are, you know, the money is really not an object. You're playing for yourself and stuff like that. Then it must be a great place to just stroll into the Rio and not thinking about expenses, like you say, like the price of meal, this and that. And play and compete, you know, and only focus right. on the cards. But I think for mid to low stakes grinders and stuff, going out there to take a shot, I think it is underwhelming and really an anticlimax. That's just from a personal point of view. I just think that Amazon room with those, all that shit hanging from the ceilings is just depressing. I don't know. Yeah. I saw photos of it recently, and I just don't really miss it, you know, being out there. Yeah, and I, I don't miss the structure of those tournaments, and I don't. The other thing is I don't I don't get this whole like somebody told me they asked Phil Galfond, would you rather have one million dollars or the bracelet? And he said the bracelet. And I was like, oh, bullshit. Like, yeah. you, uh, you, you give me a break. You, I'm surprised he said that. Did he really? He, I, 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 I could be just this is something one of my horses said the other day. And I could just right. <laughs> I could just be pulling something out of my ass. But that sounds like something some big pro has said. And yeah. and that still is something people bring up all the time. And mm-hmm. I see it on Facebook all the time. Like these guys that are just getting into poker, like, man, would you take this amount of money or the bracelet? And I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, if you win a bracelet, you should never sell it because you'll be cursed. 
like Anne Tran was. You ever hear about this guy? No. He's, no. He, he won a bracelet and he sold it. And then over the next 10 years of the WSOP, he final tabled a ton of final tables with the chip lead and finished 8th, 7th, 6th, 5th, 4th, 3rd, 2nd. Never, <laughs> never won one again. <laughs> never right. won one again. But at the same time, like, you know, if somebody, somebody said, could you, uh, it'd be nice to have a bracelet, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't take that much money for me to pick just money over yeah. it. You know what I mean? And it, it, I don't get this whole, like, po- it, poker's not like, uh, sorry to keep you. Yeah. I mean, I've been reading a bunch of basketball books, but like poker's not like basketball. There's never going to be a Michael Jordan. And mm-hmm. It, it, that top tier, a lot of times, like you can tell, like Ivy's really distinguished and ahead. But like, is there that big of a difference between Ivy and a lot of? I mean, not Ivy, but like, is there a bit a big difference between a lot of high six regs? And it's yeah. like you're in this for money. You should be uh-huh. Chip Reese. Nobody ever like went on about, oh, he's like the greatest player ever, and yet this guy had houses all over the place and did really well and all, all that. And unfortunately, what. Oh man, I totally forgot how that ended up. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> oh my god! Like, totally, but I mean, yeah. like, you looked at Chip Race and it was like, this is a happy guy that does pretty well at every game and plays really, you know, mm-hmm. like. And it, you looked at like whenever the few times he let somebody into his house and it was just nice and everybody was happy and it's it, it <laughs> you know, it's that you. He's you, a businessman, you know. He was more like an investor. Man. Yeah. yeah, and he said one time, you know, Stu Unger was like the best player among us, but he he was the worst professional. He had no mm-hmm. idea what the game was about. The money was how much money you take off the table, not how much money you build up there. And I'm paraphrasing quite heavily, but and you know, it, there's a lot of play, there's a lot of poker players that are going to be better you, than you at any time. And I mean, I know a lot of people who have a couple bracelets that I I don't. I'm like, I would not worry about you at my table. You know, I'm yeah. not I'm not saying you're a bad player, but you know, there's uh Patrick Antonius doesn't have a bracelet, right? Mm-hmm. Does anybody doubt he's an amazing player? Does does Gus Hansen have one? Um, I don't think Gus Hansen does have one. And I mean, maybe won one at the World Series of Europe, but I don't right. think no, maybe not. I think that was Phil Lack that won it there. Yeah, there you go. I don't think he does have one, yeah. And how many Holden bracelets does Phil Ivy have? Yeah, I don't think he has one. In, the, in this is arguably the greatest Holden player on earth. Does not have one. Does not have one. So oh, no. what does that say about your event? What is it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this guy goes out hard. He gets an extra $10 million if he wins a Holden bracelet. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this could just this just could speak volumes to how we perceive Phil Ivey. I mean, but I mean, hasn't he final table? He final table like seven WPT events before he won one. Maybe he, maybe he finds a way to survive really far, and he's just had really s- sore luck. But for the number of years he's been at the WSOP and the skill edge you see exhibited when he plays mm-hmm. like high stakes games, uh, you would think like, yeah, this is uh, this guy not having a bracelet, you know? <laughs> like, you know, hey, oh, but a couple rejam guys from the internet you know ran <laughs> ran good twice he's obviously a better player than ivy this bracelet means so much you know yeah. and uh it, but that's interesting though why does phil homies do so well at the series and not and, and not i don't recall him being at a bunch of wpt final tables yeah i think that well the argument is that he does really 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 well against the amateurs 
And I suppose the World Series contains more amateurs in the field than WPTs. Um, a lot of the WPTs are 10k buy-in, aren't they? Yeah. And I know, I, I know the main event's 10k, and that's got everyone. But a lot of the other side events and stuff, you know, the 1500s, the 2000s, whatever, the 5k's, they do get a lot more sort of weekend warriors. And I mean, I think Phil Helmuth, uh, for whatever people say about him, you know, I've heard him on the podcast, stuff like that. I mean, his record in Hold'em tournaments is is phenomenal. Is ungodly. I think he's would got, be even worse. He's obviously found a way that, or a style, you know, that does work, uh, regardless I, of year, and I, he seems to like get deep in them I, a lot. I, you know? I love Philhamuth for the same reason I love Tebow. You need characters, man. Like, yeah, you need characters. It doesn't mean I. I think Helmuth is a jackass a lot of the time, but you need characters like that. I'm not yeah. going to be the one to be that, but and I don't think either you are. Ninety nine percent of the population, but. You know, we gotta, we gotta respect. That's just how the guy is. And I mean, you can. I mean, this is the Doctor House theorem, but like, if you if you're good, you can be an asshole. But I mean, yeah. I don't really believe that. I think you should be kind to everyone. But <clears throat> excuse me. But I mean, you know, that's his thing. And for just as somebody who studies poker tournaments, like that is, he he's. I mean, we talked about this in the last podcast, but like, it's just amazing how much stuff you go mathematically that is genius and mm-hmm. if i somehow could have the knit image that he has it would be even more genius i don't know if he knows that i think one of the things that helps him in wsop tournaments is they get short stacked pretty quickly at the beginning and i think a lot of pros play a short stack horrible and yeah. it, myself included for like seven years and it's not till like the last year of I, I've been very blessed to have some very high stakes pros come to me like, hey, you know, see if you can tweak my game. I know I'm a better player than you, just but give me some new angles. And, I, you know, if and just kind of sitting there and looking through hands, I'm like, hey, what if you tried this? And the guy goes, nobody does that. There must be a good reason for it. And then we look into it deeper and it's like in fact the only guy we can think of who does it is phil helmuth <laughs> and <laughs> you know we get into it and it's like that's a great idea everybody always thinks you have the nuts there and your bet yeah. needs to work almost never and yeah. it, there's just so many spots like that and he just shows a lot of respect for the game like uh, well for his uh money excuse me maybe not the game but he shows a lot of respect for the tournament and not blowing it off he takes it yeah. very seriously, perhaps in the WSOP because he really cares about the records. But I mean, wasn't didn't he win WSOP Europe, which is the most like deep, yeah. deep stacked? And I used to say like, you know, I heard somebody say European players are better than Americans, and I used to say bite my ass, you know, mm-hmm. like. But now I kind of have to admit, yeah, we've regressed quite a bit, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but it, it's uh. It, it, that was a really tough field, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, he, last year. he won that too, you know? So yeah. it's like, it, it's, I can't even remember how we got onto this topic, but I mean, but does anybody think, Phil, here, there you go. Does anyone think Phil Helmuth is a better Holden player than Phil Ivy? Period. You know what I mean? He's better at tournaments. The, yeah. His closing record is f- far exceeds Ivy's. But nobody on earth thinks if they were heads up 200 big blinds thinks Helmuth has an edge, right? No. So, no. so I mean, like, the bracelets are nice, but it, 
it shouldn't mean that much to a lot of people. It's a different form of poker. Like, yeah. you might be the best sit-and-go player in the world. That doesn't mean you can step to a 50 NL grinder sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just different things. Anyway, we're ranting. Let's do some questions. Let's help out the people. Yeah, let's let's go to the questions. Uh, okay, I'll just take them in the order that I've written these down. And Carnage3030 on Twitter says, later in tournaments near the bubble, um, how many big blinds should I risk shove to make the money? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I wasn't sure about it either. <laughs> but Wait, oh, I, I, I think he okay, means okay, how many okay. big blinds should he sort of, like when should he sit back and hold and make the money and when should he just be shoving, you know, to try and get into the money? Uh, this is a very complex question uh, that, I mean, this is like asking a, God, I always want to use like baseball analogies, but I have no idea if you guys understand them. Like it's, it, uh, it, it's really hard. I think this is an art that's really hard to express. I think going back to Helmuth, he, I don't think even he could express like why he takes certain risk and doesn't take others. And mm. even though both of them could possibly be plus chip EV plays, but it's obvious he has more of a fundamental understanding of the worth of each individual tournament chip than maybe other people, or maybe not even Phil Hollywood, but some other people. Uh, I believe Sidengo Wizard, uh, my friends and I, uh, Sidengo Wizard, Hold'em Resources is what we generally use. Mm -hmm. You can adjust the payout structure and, you know, how, how close you are to the bubble and stuff like that or the final table. And you can see how much a if a play is profitable or not. Now, getting into – another thing, I, I'm just going to bring this up before. You, you can see there with a much more clarity whether, like there, – there was one instance. I'm not going to say who, but a guy got in 15 big blinds with ace-king suited to like a uh, – to it like just calling a jam and we mm -hmm. found out it was like the most negative ev play ever and it wasn't like a wsop sat it was uh it was just a final table but just with the stack distribution it was just awful like what he was risking was it, what he could possibly achieve was far less than what he was risking and i would have never known that if i hadn't worked with uh sit and go wizard and just kind of adhering to some of the really weird, you know, it just feels weird the first time you do it, you know, folding a hand like that when you would call the jam 99% of the time. I seem to get a lot more fourths, thirds, and seconds in tournaments, and it seems uh, I have way more profitable sessions than I used to. I mean, of course, the competitor in me wants first, but you realize, yeah. oh, this is the way to make more money at poker. So that would be what I'd suggest you invest time in. But remember this, oftentimes a 2x open will look stronger than just a 20x jam if you're versus one of those people who thinks you can never raise fold from that stack. Find out who those people are and make sure you're risking 10% of what you potentially could be jamming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just suppose in summation, it's all situational, isn't it? You know, right, it right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... I mean, it's hard work. You never get perfect at this. And it's just, you yeah. know, it's a lot of reviewing and like you start your generalizations become much more pinpoint. And eventually it looks like you have much more of a handle on poker when, I mean, there's a lot of times I, I mean, still every day I review, I find things that I just feel really stupid that I haven't seen before, but it might be working for two days to find one thing. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a lot of repetition, a lot of, yeah, that was okay. But there's a lot of times you think a play is great and you've done it for years and you just never challenge yourself. And it's not until, in my case, it would have probably never happened unless I had students who were smart asses asking for all the reasons to do one thing. And, but if you just never challenge yourself and retread the same thing again and again and again, you're never going to find new answers. Yeah. yeah. True. So keep studying and start, keep emailing in. <laughs> yeah, put, put in work. Play, play, put in work. Play to become a better poker player. Play because you enjoy a game. I mean, remember, chess masters who are much smarter than you or I would make no money. And you are very lucky you're playing a game that could even one day after a few years give you money. If you just focus on trying to be you know, people who play chess at home or chess in the park don't do it to make money. They do it just because they like the thrill of beating everybody in the park. I grew up playing video games. I just, I was really bad at video games, but I grew up, God, I got to keep, I got to clear my voice. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just grew up doing that. And, you know, I got off more on the thrill of like trying to, you know, there, there was this one kid in the neighborhood and I thank this kid so much, but he was just a beast at everything basketball in real life video games everything and it was just such a rush to finally beat him you know mm -hmm. what i mean and like i realized like taking that into poker is way healthier that than you know i'm trying to make money if you're trying to make money you're going to be frustrated a lot because poker is not easy and anytime you meet somebody successful i'm sure you've had uh occasion to on occasion i don't know how you say it to meet some very successful people, Barry. But a lot of them, yeah. a lot of them say the same story, right? Like I did it for free for five, ten years before I made money at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or it sucked, man. The first five, ten years, or my first three businesses failed, or my manager robbed me. And mm -hmm. the big thing is you get out there and make decisions and make mistakes. A lot of people are afraid to make a decision, and then while you're being afraid. You're, you, somebody else is out there making a bunch of decisions, failing, learning from them, and getting better. And you, yeah. you just want to make sure you're that person. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it's it's easy for people to do it, especially with things like poker. You can spend it's important to study, but you can spend too much time reading books and buying courses and joining sites, you know, this and that. So much going round in circles. These are important things, but it's actually important to to play and sort of sit and play and put in the hours at the table as well. Uh, I think because a lot of people, it's like even taking it away from poker, if they say, oh, I am a way to write a movie script or something, they've got this idea. They'll buy books on how to write movie scripts and stuff. They probably never read the book. Uh, they'll, <laughs> yeah. maybe, they'll, they'll maybe do an online course. And before you know it, two years pass, they've not wrote anything. If they just sat down and typed it out into a Word document, they would have been further forward than buying all these courses and stuff. So well it's important to just sort of like do it and like throw yourself in. And as you say, I mean, what's the worst that can happen as long as you're not gambling with, you know, important money that's yeah, right. going yeah. to leave you homeless or that, you know, you're going to learn from it and you'll be further forward. I mean, you probably learn more if you loaded up, you know, a session of rush hands and played for like a week than you would if you went and, you know, I don't know, sat and read a couple of, you know, articles are important. I mean, I'm not trying to slant that, you know, our podcast, uh, Alex gives information, the training sites, Alex is coaching. These are all important things. But even from a personal point of view, I got myself caught up in like reading a lot and watching a lot of videos. But 
you're not actually playing poker and thinking, well, you need. There comes a time when you need to sort of pull the trigger and like put it right, into practice. Right, right. And no, sort of I, play. I, I totally get what you're saying. There was a, yeah, I it, there was something Adam Carolla said. He he just started. I mean, this is a guy when he was 30 was broke and living with three different guys and doing construction, and mm-hmm. nothing was going right in his life. And now I think he just turned 50 and he's made a Hollywood movie starring himself, a successful TV show, has the number one podcast in the world. He's done a lot. And Mm. now he's trying to do a documentary on someone. And everybody around him was just asking, how are you going to do a documentary? Like, because he never went to school and he never did anything. And he goes, the same way I do everything, I just do it. I just start. I make mistakes, I look stupid, I go out there, and I work. And that's about all I do. That's, that, that's, that's it. And I mean, there's a lot of times, I mean, I started reviewing, I, I got a job playing video games professionally when I was like 14, 15 years old. And everybody, every guy at my school thought I was just a saint or the luckiest kid in the world. How did you do that? Well, I wrote 50 reviews that everybody said sucked. And I just kept redoing it and redoing it and redoing it until somebody went, hey, I laughed during your article. And that's great. Hey, man, I'll hire you. I'll send you some money, some free games here. There you go, man. And then, you know, eventually and it got to the point like I was working for one of the bigger sites when I was 17 and nobody could believe I was that young in doing that. Or no, 16. I think I quit. But because eventually like trying to beat like three video games a week gets really old. But and a lot of people were like, how'd you get there that young? And I was like, I'm really bad at this, but I just keep doing it. And it's, it's like that in poker too, but there is a quality to the hours you put in. It's not, uh, this was up in my gym when I was, uh, when I was wrestling in high school. It's, it's not, it's not the hours you put in. It's what you put in the hours. When yeah. I, whenever I wanted to learn a new game, whenever I wanted, I, when I was like, I'd never played cash in my life when I was like 19, but I had like a negative 50k month at MTTs, and I was like, I need to have other options. This mm-hmm. is not gonna work out. This is gonna make me suicidal in the long run. And I just said, I'm gonna play one two and make money. And everybody's like, Do you know what a transition that is? Do you know how hard that's gonna be? And mm-hmm. it's not like it was easy, but <clears throat> what I would do is I'd read. I'd read something, I'd watch a training video, I'd learn from something at the beginning of the day. The first part is, actually, I'm going too fast. The first part is you come in with the right frame of mind. And the right frame of mind is, I have the money, I'm prepared to lose, it's okay if it happens, it's not going to kill me, and I'm here to learn. I'm here to become a better poker player. And you come in sober, which I was uh, soon to not be very good at, but at the time I was. And you come in well rested. And I also thought it was really important to work out. So I worked out almost literally every morning. And then uh-huh. clear minded, I would go in and I'd watch a video and I'd write down a few things I thought I could improve upon. Then I'd play for two hours and I'd mark hands and I'd go back and I'd look at those hands and I'd say, what could I have done differently? And then I'd learn something. I'd, if I thought I still needed more time on that concept, I'd go play another two hours. And I did this about for three sessions a day, and I play about six hours a day. Within a couple months, at one two, I was having 10k, 20k months, and eventually two four. You know, of course, this was back during the good old days, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, and people were like, 
I didn't really share this with many people, but I had a buddy who, of mine who played one, two for a living. And he just kind of saw me as a, not as attorney dog, but he was like, wow, this is going to be a hard transition. And he was just like, I, I, you know, you improve pretty fast. And I was like, well, I mean, the first like 10 days I did this, I was completely clueless and I kept getting my ass handed to me and I got, I got it in too light because I, you know, I was attorney donk that thought top hair was the best, but it wasn't brain surgery. You know what I mean? It's just about the quality of time, the balance, et cetera. Anyway, babbling again. Let's go. More questions. More questions. Okay. Um, let's see this one. This is quite a cool, light one. I, I like the idea. It's quite funny. All right. Um, okay. It's from Jason. Uh, it doesn't say second name. Uh, if you had $500 and six months, what would you do to make 10K? I'm assuming he means poker. Um, <laughs> it's like yeah. you got $500 in six months. You know, yeah, just start growing weed and selling <laughs> on the streets or something. That's not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he means poker. Uh, $500 six months. What would you do to make 10K? Uh, $500 six months. I mean, the first thing is yeah, you're starting with a bigger bankroll than a lot of people get to start with. It's way harder to go from like $50, $100 or something. And that goes back to the last thing I wanted to say. Don't be afraid to take it seriously. In the last thing we were talking about, a lot of people are afraid of like trying and failing or taking it so seriously and losing money for like a month. I started with $50 and I played with nothing higher than $0.05, cent, $0.10 cent and like $5 sit and goes and mm -hmm. eventually built it up into – everything I have now never have deposited, but I looked, I felt really stupid when all my buddies were going, you know, wow, it's been three months and you're still plugging away at $5 tournaments. And it's the same thing that's going to apply with this $500 thing. Play how many, I mean, the questions are boundless. How many hours a day do you have to play? If you have a lot of hours to play, see, hey, can you multi-table? If you can multi-table, you should just play $5 sit goes because you'll never be worried. You'll never be tilt tilting if you lose like seven in a row with $500. And there's a lot of soft competition. And if you strike a good balance, like this is the number of tables I can play and pay really good attention, yet I'm still putting in a good volume. And then you move up and I, this sounds extreme, but I mean, I, it, this is from an education where if I lost my bankroll, I didn't know if I could replenish it for another couple months. Playing with a, a hundred buy-ins is really stress-free for me, and it allows you to focus more on your game. So once you get to $1,000, you move up to $10 tournaments. Once you get to $2,000, you move up to $20 tournaments. And if you're putting in the hours, four, six hours a day, and... Uh, you get sit and go wizard and just do some of their tests, watch videos every day, kind of do like two hour sessions. It's kind of hard to wind down, start back up in sit and goes than it is mm -hmm. in uh, cash games. But if you, uh, if you uh, completely lost my train of thought because my horse texted me, but if you, you know, if you're doing the quizzes every day, you're watching videos, you're playing, you're sober. You're not just moving up when things go bad. You're you're trying to learn. You're trying to be good at poker. You might make 10K. It, that's your best shot. And you, the least risk of ruin and most likely chance you are to make 10K. But a lot of times you'll get to, you, you won't 
even build that fast. You might sit on that $500 for a while. And mm -hmm. our, maybe you can only play two tables at a time to start. I only played two tables at a time to start for like the first six months when I, when I was like 18. And then by the time I was 19, I, you know, I was flying around doing 5Ks and stuff like that. But at the first like six months when I was like 18 years old, it, or not 18, 17, I don't know between 17 and 18 it was just two tables because that's all i could handle then three then four then six then one day you're 20 tabling people yeah. are going look at that but it's a long process it's a lot of work yeah i was going to say maybe the part the key part of that question is just the 500 dollars to 10k is one thing but setting yourself things like six months and monetary goals in six months i mean it's just from personal experience these things very rarely work out uh, yeah. largely with more people you got to try and just set things like volume goals like you say right i'm going to put in four hours a day you know if that's what i can do i can do that if i can do six i can do six right. and maybe a bigger session at the weekend but it's always hard trying to say i want to make tanky in this month because poker's not like that it's you never know where you are on the curve sort of thing you might make it in a month you know <laughs> it's like right right uh, you know and it might take a year or two years or whatever so yeah i think like what alex is saying good bankroll management uh first make sure you're a winning player as well and keep studying and just uh take it slowly and not expect to to do it overnight or you know in six months which seems like a lifetime these days to people you know six right. months with right. everything instant <laughs> yeah exactly yeah okay um also listen to back to some of the other episodes of ask alex uh, and also my uh, podcast with Alex Fitzgerald because we've touched on subjects like this quite a lot um, how to turn little amounts of money into something improper and there's lots of more in-depth analysis you know and stuff we've talked about with that so if you listen back in previous episodes uh, you probably find something in there as well um, okay there's a question from Scott I feel I have no plan I just load up MTTs on different days when I feel like it uh, I think I'm a professional, at least I tell my friends I am. It's my only source of income, but I feel I need some sort of structure. What's your advice? Well, uh, the fact you're worried about this shows you're prepared to be more professional. If you never cared about it, you probably would continue not being a professional. And if you feel like you just load up whenever, you know, I... I feel kind of hypocritical because I kind of started just with, okay, I had these bankroll considerations like 300, 300 buy-ins and MTTs, 100 buy-ins for cash are sitting goes. But yeah, whenever I felt like it, I played, you know, if I'd been drinking, if I'd been uh, other ways, uh, it, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I would just go about it. But now that I manage myself more like a business, the money tends to stay around a lot more and I tend to learn a lot more and enjoy poker a lot more. But yeah, it's, I mean, there's days you want to rebel against it. I hate taking so many records, managing so many things that come with just outside business interests and whatever. But I, I would say I, I've heard, I haven't read the book, but, uh, uh, is his name Dusty Schmidt Leatherass? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He had a, he had a book called treat poker like a business and uh, treat your poker like a business or something along those lines. Uh, Mark Blade years ago had a had a book called Professional Poker. I read it when I was 18. It helped me. I, I don't know if it's relevant <laughs> anymore. 
uh god it was uh, yeah it was seven years ago but uh i mean the big thing is you have to invest uh, reading business related books are really interesting too what one thing you need to do is something that helped me a lot was managing other people's horses and it becomes a lot easier of a game like that if you were reading a book and you were reading about a golfer who you know started drinking or whatever you go oh man now he's going to start dipping and play and yet i talk to you know i i say that to a lot of uh the guys that are horses right and they're uh and then i go well how many nights a week do you drink three or four and i'm like yeah. do, do you, if you were reading about that in a book do you think that guy would be competitive and they're like well uh and you read about like kobe bryant one time said to phil jackson uh, Phil Jackson was like, you need to start hanging out with your teammates more because it, it's not working how you're just kind of set apart. And he said, like, it was the most normal thing in the world. He's like, I don't understand them. I want mm -hmm. to go watch more video. They want to just talk about girls and uh, about women and cars. He just didn't. Mm -hmm. And people go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's why Kobe Bryant's one of the best at what he does. It's like, well, why aren't you like that? Why, why, yeah. don't, why don't you manage yourself like that? It, mm -hmm. a, a lot of people say, I'd like to be that really, really good professional, that guy people look up to, stuff like that. And it's like, here's the thing. If I, let, let's say this. If I could snap my fingers and you'd be that guy, you'd have all the money and you know, you put the, you set some money aside, you bought a house, you're all that. Would you want to be that? Yeah. Now, yeah. Do you think you're capable of doing that? Yeah. So why haven't you done it? Because mm -hmm. if I can snap my fingers and you'd actually do it and you'd actually want it, the truth is you just don't want to take the pain. And it is a pain in the ass. It's not – there's a lot of days I don't like to do lessons. I really enjoy it 90% of the time. But there's – I get some guys that are abrasive. I get some guys that honestly need therapy more than they need me. <laughs> and – there's a lot of people that just want to prove me wrong. There's a lot of people that don't listen to a thing I say. And there's a lot yeah. of times, and I really enjoy the people a lot, but there's a lot of times I have to, re I've literally repeated the same thing. I I've shown the same, I, I got tired of explaining things roundabout. So I went ahead and I compiled a bunch of hand histories. So when somebody was doing something wrong, I'd be like, look at, it, look at this in five different hand histories. And I loved it at first because it was just boom, boom, boom. We got every concept. We had everything on points. I even made PowerPoints sometimes. And it got really, you know, and it got the lesson through to the guy. You know, the guy was really grateful. Uh, you know, we'd have a good time. The hundredth time I've done it, I'm really tired. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I've heard the same thing again and again. And I've stopped finding new things to say mm -hmm. about it. And, but it's my job. And part of being a professional is diversifying your bets. You have your bread and butter bets, small investments, small reward. Really bread and butter could be doing something for no risk and getting paid, a la lessons. Uh, uh, did I do that right? No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like, I, man, anymore. I, I, I tend to like say words and then wonder, is that right? But you know, like lessons, doing videos, and you can, a lot of people can do lessons and they just don't want to do it. You speak a language other than English. There's a lot of people out there that want to learn. You just start posting in the forums. 
you know, and you start doing that work and you show people, I know, you know, you put yourself out there and I mean, look at, look at the guys in two plus two who got that, that dream deal from Durr. Have you heard about this? No. Uh, Durr used to, I hope this isn't something secret because I've had seven people tell me about this. So, well, I mean, it, it was Durr would just, if he thought you were a good player, he'd just give you 500, a good tournament player. He'd go give me, here's $500,000. Mm-hmm. When you feel like it, give me a profit shot. And if you blew through the 500,000, you weren't in 500,000 in makeup to Durr because he didn't care. He thought you were hopeless at that point. And yeah. he gave it to a lot of guys on two plus two who'd been putting in the hours in the form every day. Cause and he had a very good point. If they were going to work this hard for free to get better, I'm, sh- I'm sure he never said this, but I was thinking that's a pretty good place to start because if they're working this hard for free to get better, how hard are they going to work with the endorsement of the top, one of the top players in the game, probably the best online player in the game? They're, yeah, pr- they're probably yeah. going to work very hard for it. Nobody's going to back you. Nobody's going to believe in you unless you do it for free for yourself first. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, and you gotta, and there's, you know, if you want to get good, well-rounded at poker, you gotta pick days. This is for set a schedule of the week ahead of time. Set goals that are realistic, realistic, attainable goals. Achieve them. Get confident. Achieve other goals. If you want to get good at cash games, say this day and this day, I'm gonna study cash games. I've come to the point. I I now have a really good friend who's become extremely good at Pot Omaha, and I just. It occurred to me recently, this is the fourth friend of mine who's become really good at Potlim in Omaha. And now I have much more to offer. This is the first time I have something to offer him because I think I know more about MTTs. I, I think I can teach about MTTs better than mo- pr- here comes the arrogant, better than anyone. But to online, I mean, I'm sure there's, that's not saying I'm the best. I just think I'm a better coach than I am a player and I've put in a lot more hours coaching than a lot of other people. And I think I have found a lot of points and that being said, so I, I should start trading with this guy. I should be putting the work in and, you know, two hours I teach him about MTTs, two hours he teaches me about PLO and we talk and we trade and I got to set a day for that though, because if I just say that's a good idea, I know it's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you just put a schedule, stick to it, you're going to feel much more like a professional and keep good records. That's the other thing. You'll be amazed how much that changes things. You'll there's sometimes I have guys start taking records and they're just like, I'm hemorrhaging money on this site. And I've Mm -hmm. never noticed it. I've just always hit reload because I'm doing well on every other site. If I just cut out this site, I'm up another 30,000 this year. And it's like, well, watch some of your hand histories. This, that seems like a good idea. Yeah. If you if you had a student and he did that, you'd be proud of him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, why aren't you doing it? Make a time to mm-hmm. do it. Be relentless. And read the book Relentless by Tim S. Grover. It's all about this. And yeah, and you might find like, I'm just not paying attention to this site. Like period. So I need to cut down on tables or like change something, you know? And it's it's more about that. And then you'll start as you feel like you're developing a work ethic and a more professional attitude, you're going to start feeling a lot better. And then one day you can be a mediocre poker player like me and have confidence you don't deserve. 
Anyhow, <laughs> let's, let's continue. Yeah. Um, okay. The other one was sort of related, but it's more sort of meta, like overall thing. Um, I'm feeling it difficult to get a balance between poker and outside interests. I often go from extreme, i.e. playing lots of poker, to almost playing nothing at all. Uh, what's your advice on, on balance, getting a bit of balance? That's a that's a really good question. I kind of, I do the same thing. So once you know, tell me. I, I go, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think the bigger thing is you feel better when you're doing something productive. So, or at least that's for me. Some people, I really envy them. I, I really envy people that can sit around all day and do nothing and be perfectly content with it because I just can't do that. And it's actually really hard for me to take time off, but you got to for- force yourself sometimes. I, I, think, I think scheduling it, having goals, will help you stay focused uh, because then, you know, if you, if you heard of a guy who at your local card room was like, okay, play 12 hours this day, play 12 hours that day, played 16 hours the next, and he played 12 hours the next, you'd be like, this guy's ready to burn out. And he might burn out for seven days. Or when he comes back in, he'll be foggy. At the end of that session, he probably wasn't good. He probably was crapping out at the last like hour or two every day mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You'd say, that's probably a bad idea. Again, why, would you, why aren't you doing it? So go in like focus burst, you know, six, eight hours a day. I rarely reg for more than a couple hours every day. Like it's rare. I, I used to do the dust till dawn thing. And you know, when you're younger, you like really love that. Uh, the other thing is having people that balance you out is really helpful. I, I think this is why it's so plus EV that having a wife, having a relationship, having a relationship with your family or just having friends outside of poker. If your friends outside of poker see you not sleeping, you know, just not paying attention, not going out to see your friends like for a couple days, they're probably going to, hey, buddy, you know, what's going on? But if you don't have any friends like that, nobody's going to call you on it. Or I always had a roommate that what didn't play poker, and I thought that was really good for me. Because when they saw me getting obsessive, it would be, hey, uh, you know, you need to mellow out a bit it's not really working for you or if you can get somebody who challenges you is kind of a little different than you and can push you out of your comfort zone that's even greater because your natural rhythm seems to be obsessive and you one of the things that drove me crazy when I first started dating my wife is she was much more balanced came from a much better family and she didn't understand Mm -hmm. you know 40 hours in three days and then just passed out for two days, not doing anything. But so she would just, Hey, why don't we do this this day? Or why don't we do this that day? And then I had to gear my week around that. And I actually really hated it at first. I was so used to being independent and, you know, going hard, burning out, etc. And then, yeah. But eventually, you know, having to gear my life around that, like just, you know, okay, a family meeting here, I mean, not a family meeting, a family dinner here, you know, going to the park this day and then, okay, so I probably I'll play this day and this day, take that day off this day. And then naturally it becomes a balance. And then you realize I'm putting in a lot more hours and I'm playing way better during these hours. And you got to have goals. You have to have something to strive for and you have to have some sense of I'm getting better. 
if you're just grinding, you're going to hate your life. And there's two guys that come to mind. I'm not going to say who they are, but they're uh, very close to some friends of mine. And they were relevant five years ago, and they're not relevant now. But they mm-hmm. play all – it's kind of creepy. They play all day, every day, and no one's seen them win a tournament in years. So I don't know who their backers are what they're thinking. And mm-hmm. – but, you know, and they just hate their lives. Like one is a prolific drinker. That's all he talks about. That's all his Facebook is about. And the other guy is just bitchy toward everybody and just mm-hmm. awful toward people. And that's because they feel like they're behind now and they feel – uh, it, it, they they feel slighted, which I think is ridiculous because I don't yeah. I don't know when hard work became a skill anyone could do. So that. how how is Gavin Smith? <laughs> I never I never said that. No, I don't I don't know anything about yeah, him. Is that I'm is joking. that how he is? I'm joking. No, I'm not, but I mean, oh yeah, because he's yeah. a drinker. I I got yeah. I got I got it I got it. But no, I mean, <laughs> but I bet if they like found one thing, they felt like they got better on that day. You know, they'd be, okay, you know, today sucked, but it's going to turn around, man. You know what I mean? But a lot of times when you're playing a bunch, that's like a des- that's a desperate plea for help. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I got to put in the hours because I'm not doing well. And really, it's kind of weird in poker. You can't just, you know, you can't just, like, go hard all day, every day. Your, your game is likely to deteriorate. Deteriorate. Well, I, Anyhow. Yeah. Well, I listened to an old podcast I did with Barry Greenstein recently uh, when I was on holiday, and he was basically saying it's so important. You need a well-rounded life. You can't just play poker. He's like, a life just playing poker is just wasted. You know, he's like, you need a, you need a well-balanced, well-rounded life. You need to go and do other things. And he says just now, for like guys in America that's frozen out, you know, online, it's the perfect time for them to go and either finish their education or go and start some other project or business, you know, or do something else that's not poker related. And then maybe when it comes back to the States, you know, jump back in then. But it's like, it is so important to get that balance. And I think it's easy when you're grinding and grinding, like you say, just to be grinding for grinding's sake uh, and just be up and down, up and down. And you're like, there's no fulfillment there, you know? And going back to the bracelet question, I think that's why it's such a big thing for a lot of players. They feel like that little bracelet is that is a sense of achievement. It's like a physical uh, certificate, if you like, for poker. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's no promotion in poker. There's no like, you know, oh, I got promoted this and that. So they're all looking for that victory that they can show their family and friends. Like, look, I got this for neglecting you for the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. You know? And really, your victory should be, oh, someone got sick. Let's take them to the good hospital. I I, yeah. I can pay for it. Or like, yeah. you know, I'd really like, you know, you know what my biggest victory was recently? I want an exercise room. I've always dreamed of that. I want a TV so I can watch training videos and I can watch The Wire and <laughs> while I'm working out. And I want a machine to work out on and some weights. And the fact I could just think about it and do that is a victory. That's yeah. victory. That is I'm a professional. I can do that because that's not something I, I couldn't even fathom that as a kid. You're talking about, you know, like, are you kidding? Like, how much money would that cost? Oh, my God. What is that going to do to you? And it's not like I went I went to an outlet here and got the cheapo TV and I got the cheapo thing. 
because I'm a creature of habit and I didn't want to blow money. And I got a little TV and I got a little exercise machine and some little weights and it didn't cost that much. But the fact you can have that kind of freedom is, Mm -hmm. I think, your victory. And yeah, but it comes the odd thing is that freedom comes from structure. And yeah, it if you need to be verified by anyone else, you're never going to strike out on your own in poker. The, every day, my biggest problem with making regs better is they're worried about what their friends are going to think if they play the way I play. And mm-hmm. they're, they're worried about... about it, it, I mean, if you strike out on your own and then you fail, then it's on you. If you play the way your backer, 2 plus 2, everybody tells you to play and you fail, then it's not on you. And yeah. everybody that's when you start and that it kind of hiding from that and trying to get uh, trying to feel better about yourself because oh I play like everybody else is what's really going to sink you as a poker player because like you think about Phil Ivy Durr any of those guys do you think they can't do you think they ever gave a rat's ass what anyone thought yeah uh, I know. never any anyhow anyhow that's uh, that's my mighty transition I'm not as good of a radio host as you yeah cool well that's all the questions for this week so uh, we'll, we'll just wrap it up. Um, earlier in the podcast, I said this one might be going out after the first William Hill tournament, but I just checked the date, and I'm sort of like a week out. Um, the tournament is on the 23rd of June, and that's at 7 o'clock uh, p.m. UK time. So this podcast will be out before then. So any of you listening, you're you know welcome to join the tournament. Hopefully you sign up for a William Hill account through one of the links or banners on one outer. As long as you use promotional code OneOuter, O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R, when you create the account, um, you'll be able to play the tournament for $5. As I say, I'll be doing a league, and there will be points depending on where you finish in the tournament. And the best player at the end of the sixth tournament will win a lesson from Alex Fitzgerald. And there's lots of other prizes added, books, um, Poker X Factor membership for a month for free, uh, OneOuter.com t-shirts, which are very exclusive. Um, only myself, Phil Latt, <laughs> Alan, Alan Kessler, and Nick Abu Risk, I think, own them. Uh, I think I got one for you, Alex, but I, did I leave it with Jack or did I not leave it? Did I, could I not get it to you or something? That sounds, Remember ex- we, that sounds exactly like something Jack would forget. So yeah, it's no, possible. I, th- I think, no, I think, I don't think I had it when I met Jack and well, I was leaving Vegas like two days before you arrived or something, but. I'm going to get one. I'm going to have to send, before I forget as well, I'm going to say it on air. I need to send you some Iron Brew uh, Scottish soft drink. All right. It's like this bright colored orange soft drink. It's huge in Scotland. It's called Iron Brew. That's awesome. I-R-N-B-R-U. And you need to taste it because I know you like your Coke and stuff like that as well. Um, so I need to send you the uh, the Iron Brew. Uh, oh, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll right. pack a one-outer one T-shirt in there for you to wear in Costa Rica or whatever as well. Damn, I'm excited. Um, yeah, right. so uh, <laughs> get in touch with Alex if you want uh, you know, more one-to-one coaching. If you're not going to be the best player after the sixth tournament and win one for free, then Alex is available for coaching on a one-to-one level you know, over Skype and stuff. You can contact him at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com. Uh, I'll put that in the blog post as well with the podcast. And again, follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and Alex is at the Assassinato. Um, and keep your questions coming in. We look forward to reading some of them out in the next show. Anything to add, Alex? 
Nope, that's good. It was a great time, guys. Thank you all for tuning in and putting us in your ear holes. It was a great, great time, as always. Thank you, guys. For real, it's really cool to, you know, be able to talk, have an audience, have a business related uh, with poker. And it's so nice to get the support I get from you guys. I really appreciate it. My wife and I really thank you for all the support. And I'm, I just hope we're giving you some kind of value here. You know what I mean? The free books, the free lessons, all that stuff. And check out, check out, uh, Check out uh, Facebook.com slash Assassinato or Twitter at The Assassinato. And you can – I post articles. I try to post an article daily. Got a huge catalog. You go through them, read them. This is how I started just reading articles, getting all that free stuff. You want to get good at poker, you're just starting out. This is the value to get. Get on it. I'll provide it for you. Barry will provide it for you. And uh, thank you guys for supporting yeah, and if there are any like young guys listening, you know, 17, 18, 19, we do apologize if we sound like two negative dinosaurs <laughs> and stuff. But, uh, but poker, you know, I used to love it like that as well and watch high stakes poker on repeat and quote like the all the lines and stuff from it and have a joke. But, uh, you know, a, a few years of shit will soon get that out of you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and, uh, but stick with it, and I still love the game, and I'm sure I speak for Alex as well. So, um, you know, we're not going anywhere soon, and uh, hopefully we'll keep doing podcasts for you and keep, keep your questions coming in. All right, cheers. Cheers. As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, you can get yourself a massive $70 discount from our sponsors, PokerXFactor.com. They offer the best in poker training with lots of new videos each week from some of the top names in online poker. Just use coupon code 1OUTER70. That's O N E O U T E R 70.